Gertrude Pridget in Columbus, Georgia on April 26, 1886. A gifted child, Gertrude was recognized early on for her creativity and talent. By the age of 12, she was singing in church. Gertrude was a member of the First African Baptist Church, where she began her music journey. As an alto in the church choir, she traveled from city to city singing gospel music, performing in revival tent shows. Hey, Skinny! The minstrel show's gone down! During this time, the minstrel show was the country's main entertainment. It was the 1800s version of Saturday Night Live. An all-white cast performed theatrical skits. The plot lines varied with each act, but the main, not-so-subtle features were the black side characters. What's the matter with you boys shooting up that man's hen house? I'll shoot any chicken trying to follow me home. Well, why don't you get a job and go to work? Y'all almost had me a job this morning. Where? I went down to the post office and said that man couldn't let me have one of them jobs as a letter total. After the Civil War, the minstrel show underwent a really unique change. Not for the better, as it was still demeaning towards blacks. It did go from an all-white cast to an all-black lineup. Black singers, black actors, black dancers and musicians took control and formed their own minstrel troops. And the black minstrels that didn't put on blackface, they called themselves the Real Deal Negro Delineators. show is a very polarizing topic but let's take a look at it in a different way it was the early 1900s slavery had just ended about 50 years earlier and Jim Crow was alive and well one could ask why would black folks act out the very demeaning skits that were making fun of them and one could answer that in the United States during the late 1800s who could black actors parody other than the stereotypes of themselves? The minstrel show format was a well-oiled machine and the first form of show business. It was before motion pictures, before talking movies, and Technicolor. Color theater gave black creators a platform to showcase their talents and earn a paycheck at a time when there wasn't an outlet for them. The minstrel show was also the vehicle that drove cultural and creative exchange in the black communities, kind of like a music, fashion, and dance convention. 
Black folks showed up and the entertainers showed out. But most importantly, the minstrel show played a huge part in my Rainey's life. If it wasn't for the minstrel show, there wouldn't be the entertainer known as Ma Rainey. Around the year 1904, while touring with her church, Gertrude met Will Pa Rainey, a seasoned performer in the minstrel show. Pa Rainey saw Gertrude's raw talent. Soon after that, she became the ma to his pa on and off the stage. Ma and Pa Rainey went on the road performing song and dance routines in minstrel shows and cabarets throughout the South. Life on the road wasn't easy, but Ma and Pa were a unique and entertaining pair. They called their act the Assassinators of the Blues, and they began making a name for themselves, primarily because of Ma. They worked in one of the biggest minstrel troops at the time, the Rabbit Foot Minstrels, also known as the Foots. When the Foots came to town, a marching band paraded through the streets, P.T. Barnum style, announcing the arrival of the greatest show on earth. The Foots Minstrels helped to spread black music and dance culture throughout the United States. After Ma and Pa's marriage ended, Ma worked on her own. She was an independent woman. She never performed the typical minstrel skits. She was way beyond that. Ma traveled extensively on the Southern Circuit in her 20s with her own band, her own choreographer, and her own team of talent. While headlining, Ma met a young Bessie Smith Bessie became Ma's young protege. She toured with Ma for an extended period of time before she went her own way and became another blues star. Now here's the legend. At the time, there was a rumor that Ma kidnapped Bessie and forced her to sing the blues. And this is a story that's been laughed at and denied by both Ma's and Bessie's families over the years. In 1923, at the age of 37, Ma's career took a major turn. Although considered past her prime by most, Ma's first recording was Bad Luck Blues which suffered from just that. It had little to no promotion and was a major flop. Her next recording, Moonshine Blues, was her first official record release. 
After that came Bow Weevil Blues and a wave of popularity. Ma Rainey wasn't the first black woman to record the blues. Mammy Smith predated her by three years in 1920. The success of Mamie's record is what inspired other record labels to jump on the bandwagon and record blues singers. Race Records was the label given to music recorded by black artists to distinguish it from the music being sold to whites. Unlike singers at the time and many of today, Ma wrote and collaborated on a great portion of the 92 songs she recorded for Paramount. Songs filled with imagery that spoke to the collective thoughts, frustrations, and feelings of black women. It is through these lyrics we get an inside view of Ma Rainey in her own words. A boll weevil is a beetle that feeds on cotton buds. Traditional songs about the boll weevil were very popular because it symbolized the underdog. Blacks could identify with the defenseless, pesky little bug who always defeats the farmer by destroying his crops. As deciphered by Sandra Lieb in her study of Ma Rainey, boll weevil blues is a contradictory tale that combines images of power and weakness, action and depression, independence and dependence, while using folklore to depict a proud, lonely woman. The first stanza tells listeners not to grieve because there are bow weevils, men everywhere. In the second stanza, we see the singer's manlessness, loneliness. I'm a lone bow weevil, been out a great long time. The third stanza is self-explanatory. I don't want no man putting sugar in my tea. Them so evil, I'm afraid they might poison me. If Ma's preferences were unclear on bow weevil blues, another song she wrote put it out there. Prove It On Me is an aggressive, boastful song that firmly establishes Ma's bisexuality. Prove It On Me was a bold act coming from a black lesbian. It was explicit, in your face, and I dare you, feminist statement. I want the whole world to know. This 
Boos and Blues is a funny little tale of the morning after a wild night of fun. Ma Rainey had a brief run-in with the law in 1925 when she was arrested by the Chicago police. When they arrived, the young women were undressed and trying to flee the apartment. Ma was accused of running an indecent party and arrested. But her dear friend, Bessie Smith, bailed her out of jail the next day. Ma Rainey. I just, you know, I smile when I say her name and I think about all the things that she's done that spoke to the plight of a struggle nation. In her book, Blues Legacies and Black Feminism, Angela Davis breaks it down, pointing out that the significant number of classic blues songs talk about work, jail, prostitution, domestic violence, homosexuality, and a slew of other issues. The topics of these songs reflected the time period in which these women lived. It was an openly racist society where women had no voice and they definitely couldn't say how they felt. Music was their contribution. Living their lives and being who they were, that was their protest. During and after her tenure ended at Paramount in 1928, Ma toured throughout the southern United States. She hit the road with her touring group, the Georgia Wildcats. Ma was doing so well, she traveled in her own rail cart, and she had her own tour bus. Along the way, she was introduced to pianist and composer Thomas Dorsey, who directed her band. Dorsey would later be known as the father of gospel music, pinning such songs as Oh Precious Lord, Changing Styles, Talking Pictures, New Technology, and the evolving entertainment industry put many classic blues singers out of work. The once popular down-home folk blues was no longer in fashion. Male guitar slingers were the new thing, and uptown swing and jazz was all the rage. Even with declining interest, Ma returned to what she knew best. She gave up her part-time residence in Chicago, and she returned to the tent circuit and minstrelsy with Toba. Ma performed in less than stellar venues. Gone were the days of traveling in style with a touring bus, railroad car, and team of talent. It was a humble ending to a great career.
1935, Ma stopped touring and retired from music. She returned to her hometown of Columbus, Georgia, and shared a residence with her brother, Thomas Pridgett, in the Liberty District. Ma may have retired from the stage, but she continued doing what she loved. She became the first black woman to run and operate not just one, but two theaters, the Lyric and the Airdrome, until she was called home in 1939. She was 53 years old. Ma Rainey was one generation removed from slavery, and yet she was able to do great things with her gift, carving out her beautiful footprint in American history. She composed one-third of her recorded material, shaping her overall sound, music, and content, creating a style that influenced other icons such as Bessie Smith, Big Mama Thornton, Dinah Washington, Louis Armstrong, and many, many others. Ma was unfairly labeled the ugliest woman in show business, but baby, when she stepped on that stage in her long shimmering gowns, big feather plumes, necklaces full of $20 gold coins. She captivated audiences. She was Madame Rainey. Southern music historian and scholar Sterling Brown wrote an endearing poem about Ma Rainey. His poem beautifully expresses the love that audiences felt for her. When Ma Rainey comes to town, folks from any place, miles around, from Cape Girardeau and Popular Bluff, locks in to hear Ma do her stuff. Ma Rainey was light years away from being a simple housekeeper, which was the official occupation listed on her death certificate. She was an icon. She was a star. Well, 